0: Welcome to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of The Catholic Channel on Sirius XM 129. If you wanna to listen to more, subscribe to Sirius XM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on The Catholic Channel, Sirius XM 129. Hello, this is Tim Reedy, sitting in for Father Matt Malone. You're joining us here on America This Week, uh, and I'm joined by my co-host, Ashley McKinless.
1: Hello! Uh, Each week on America This Week, we offer news and analysis from the intersection of the Church and the world, gathered by the team at America Magazine. We're also joined by Olga Segura. She is an associate editor with us at America Magazine, and also my co-host on the podcast, Judge Whittaker. Hey guys, thank you for having me this week.
0: Yeah, you guys have a week off this week, right? We do, but
1: <laughs> we kind of don't since we're both on the radio <laughs> show this week.
0: Yes. So, uh, well, thank you for joining. Since mm-hmm. uh, Carrie Weber is actually coming back next week, so very excited about that. She's yes. back from maternity leave. She'll be joining us next week. We're excited now to have with us Kaya Oaks. I believe calling in, uh, Kaya, are you with us?
2: Yeah, I'm
0: here. Great. Kaya, are you uh, in Oakland? Where are you calling from?
2: Yeah, I'm calling from Oakland.
0: This is our Oakland uh, correspondent, <laughs> contributing writer. Great to have you on the show. I, I'm, I know you've been on before, so thanks again for joining us. Um, so, Kaya, this is uh, Nuns and Nuns. Um, how did you learn about this? Obviously, this is, this is one of your beats, to, so to speak, but um, <laughs> what, in, what intrigued you about this, this kind of conversation that's been going on?
2: Well, I actually got tipped off to this story by Nathan Schneider, who you all know is another contributing writer to America. And Nathan is friends with Adam Horowitz. He's one of the people who put the Nuns and Nuns project together. Adam was coming to the Bay Area to put on a Nuns and Nuns event in the South Bay Area at the Dominican Sisters um, Mother House down there. And that's how it all fell into place. So Adam and I got into conversation. I pitched the story to America. Six months later, here we are. So,
1: so what happens at these Nuns and Nuns events?
2: Basically, they sit down and they just talk for three days, um, <laughs> and then they they apparently they drink wine and there's... Oh, that's um, not in the story. <laughs> <laughs> there's sing-alongs uh, to Leonard Cohen songs. Oh, I of course, there about are. that. Yeah. Um, but it's basically a chance for people who are non-religious or um, seekers, uh, millennial age uh, seekers to get together and talk about questions that they have about faith and organized religion with, um, with women religious. And interestingly, Adam, um, who was one of the people who got the project started is, uh, Jewish, secular Jewish, and it was co-started by him. Um, and, uh, Wayne Mueller, who's a reverend in the United Church of Christ, um, was the one who had the connections to these sisters, so it actually is a very ecumenical interfaith project from the beginning.
1: So you've talked to some of the, the millennial nuns uh, who have who've taken part in these conversations. What, what, do they, what are they looking for specifically when they're talking to women religious, and, and what, have they, what have they gotten out of this experience?
2: A lot of them are lapsed Catholics or people who had sort of Catholic upbringings in some cases, but then the family, their parents or they drifted from the church or there was a split at some point in time. and so they're not necessarily looking to reconcile that relationship, but they ha- they don't want to let go of their connection to the church. And so this is a sort of middle road for for the ones who are. Catholic or, you know, have been Catholic. And then some of them are just spiritual seekers. In other words, they have a faith in God or a higher power, but they don't have any kind of religious practice for that. And so one thing that women religious are really good at is kind of meeting people where they arrive. And so they're, um, because they work in, you know, marginalized communities and they work in interfaith communities already. And so they're very well prepared to come and listen to people's questions about, you know, what is what is God? What do we believe in? Why do we believe in it? Um, a lot of the younger people who come to these events and who are involved in this project are also social justice activists doing things around housing and education, uh, for example. And so, again, the sisters have a lot of experience with that.
0: And one thing I found particularly interesting was one thing that the sisters could Mm -hmm. offer these young activists was a sense of perspective, a sense of how to kind of bean it for the long haul, because a lot of these young people are kind of exhausted from the work. And here you have sisters who have been doing this for 50 years. And even those who are retired are still involved. So that was an interesting part of your story.
2: Yeah, burnout is a big thing um these days. I think that even among my students who are even younger, you know, in their early 20s, late teens, we're seeing more and more burnout. And I think it's a combination of things with these young activists and that there's a sense of, you know, that they don't they work really really hard and the times are difficult out there for them. And so they get burned out, but then there's also the additional challenges of living, for example, around here where the cost of living is um, one of the, almost as high as New York. (laughs) So um, probably actually we may be as high as New York now. And so they have to work, you know, multiple jobs to make ends meet. Some of them don't have a steady housing. So they're couch surfing or moving around, you know, from place to place. And that, exacerbates the burnout and these women religious who have been like you said you know doing this for like 50 years and they too have multiple jobs have to move around a lot you know have very thin financial support they don't have a lot of money that's a choice but they just don't um that they understand why people burn out, and they're able to minister to people in burnout as well.
1: So, so with women religious, I've I, the ones, the ones I've talked to. They, when I ask them about uh, how they are able to keep up their activism for so long, they talk a lot about one uh, having a very deep prayer life, um, and two living in community. So, how do they, how do they, you know, give practical wisdom to um, millennial seekers who who may not have a prayer life and might not have the option of living in community, what's what's some of the practical wisdom that they can share?
2: One of the anecdotes that ended up in the story that I thought was um, kind of indicative of why this project is growing and working so well is the example of um, one of the sisters who lives in Grand Rapids, who took a bunch of millennials to a Mennonite retreat center, and so it's a silent retreat. And these weren't necessarily people who had a prayer practice, but the idea of keeping silence, putting down technology for a few days actually really worked. And so contemplation um, taking the form of a formalized prayer practice was something that really spoke to um, these kind of, you know, burned out activist (laughs) types. And so that actually worked really well. And apparently, some of the people who went on the retreat with her have gone back on their own and done, you know, done retreats on their own. So it's not a formal prayer practice. And that's one thing they have to negotiate um, when they're meeting, too, is that some of the people who come are not Christian. And so um, they don't necessarily respond or. Um, have a familiarity with Jesus language, so to speak, and so a lot of the prayer that they do when they are in a group with the sisters is um, just uh, speaking from the heart and holding silence together and doing meditation and, and you know stuff that's a little less explicit, um, following a scripted prayer.
1: Yeah. So, so the sisters aren't there's no proselytization going on or looking for vocations. And is there any yeah, tension and, in yeah. for the sisters and, you know, trying to hold back?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did hear, and this didn't make it into the story, but there has been one rotation that's come out of this. Um, so maybe that's the follow-up story. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. They're <laughs> playing the long but, game. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're, call me in 10 years and then we'll see. Um, but, yeah, the... They really made it clear, both sides of the nuns, this is where I get the millennials and the, and the sisters made it clear on both sides that this is an experiment and we just want to see where it goes rather than, you know, it's not a come and see retreat for the Jesuits or something where it's like, you know, you are going to see if you have a vocation. It's more about just companionship and friendship, really, um, forming networks. And then also they're looking at future forms of things like possible community life where um, the millennials could perhaps do things like live in some of the empty rooms in these convents um, to see whether that could be a sustainable form of community life. That's something that they're kind of looking to do if you go to their website they have some descriptions of future projects that they want to try and that's one of them
0: so you've spoken a bit about what um you know the, the kind of what the millennials are, are getting out of this conversation I maybe mean, you could speak to what what are the sisters the the nuns getting out of this what is i mean as you point this is generational there's a great divide here what but but yet they mm-hmm. they're very kind of curious about this
2: yeah, it's interesting because the sisters all talked about things like being energized by uh, these younger adults, being um, feeling like they're learning a lot about what, how younger people see the world. Unfortunately, because of the lack of vocations in a lot of women's religious orders, they don't have a lot of young members. So they don't, frankly, spend that much time around younger adults, right? And so this is an opportunity for them to kind of learn what younger adults are thinking about, talking about, concerned about, praying about, you know, hoping for, etc. cetera. Um, they get a lot out of that. And then uh, one of them, uh, I forgot who, which one said this, but one of them said it's like a form of... Um, thinking about it as a form of missionary work, not in the sense of trying to convert people, but that what missionaries what do now is go serve where they're called um, and serve the people no matter what kind of background they have, what kind of beliefs. And the sisters really see themselves doing that. They're, they're kind of becoming spiritual directors and spiritual guides to these, um, to these people.
1: Kai, you've, you've written a book about, about millennial nuns, um, and I think one misconception that you know the word nun kind of leads to is that these people are, are closed off to spirituality because they're not affiliated with a specific religion. Um, but in the piece, you say that that's not really the case. So could you, could you talk about a little bit more about the spirituality of the people who are involved
2: in this? Sure. Um, so my book came out about three years ago, and it was actually edited by Jim Keen, who, of course, you know works for Martin our books out. editor. So it's a very small world. <laughs> but um, but the, one of the things that sparked the book was these Pew surveys, the Pew Forum, which surveys the religious landscape. Doing these surveys, finding that people who were um, checking none on these, you know, surveys about which religion do you belong to, in fact, turned out to be much more complicated than just that they don't belong to any religion. In some cases, they were practicing more than one religion, and they just didn't feel like choosing, you know, multiple, you couldn't choose multiple choice. In other cases, they had a very strong faith in God and uh, a regular prayer life, but they didn't belong to an institutional church. So, for example, they were, you know, perhaps somebody who had grown up in a religion and was no longer going to worship services, but still practicing the religion on their own. So when we talk about spirituality, I think the sisters have, you know, one of the best kind of conversations you can have about spirituality is with women religious because they have a really strong sense that the spirituality means that a spirit is moving through people and calling them to you know to to do something for others and um and to be you know thinking about ethics and morals and stuff like that. And I think that's something that appeals to people who don't practice in an institutional religion because it's inclusive in the sense like anybody can be spiritual and you don't have to belong to a religion to practice spirituality. Um, that does lead to, you know, some miscomprehensions of things like, you know, yoga is spirituality, or... Um, you know, going to a concert is spirituality, and those can you can have spiritual experiences doing those things, but the work of actually developing a relationship with the spirit is really what this nuns and nuns, nuns and nuns, sisters and seekers project <laughs> is, <laughs> is more focused on.
1: And Kaya, one of the things that I've found encouraging about your article is that I often get hopeless when I see these numbers of millennial women who are becoming unaffiliated with religion. Um, But it was was really encouraging to discover this nuns and nuns project. Um, Is this a nationwide effort? Like how many of these gatherings are there a year and sort of is it spread only on the West Coast, only on the East Coast? Or where do you see these kinds of events?
2: I think they have had them in six or seven different places now so there's at least the one at least one here in the Bay Area Um, and then they've staged them. There's one in Grand Rapids that's been meeting for several years now actually it was one of the first ones to start out of the first gathering and it's just kept going and that's um, I talk about that in the article Mm -hmm. and then They've done a few at Harvard in association with the Divinity School there. And then I think Adam said that they were looking at, There's, I think they've done one in Chicago now. So they're kind of trying to do, you know, spread it out to different areas. And one of the women, one of the millennial women who's involved in it spent the summer traveling around, to different sister communities to um, in the Midwest to look for places to do gatherings around um, the Chicago area, but even into Wisconsin and the upper Midwest. So they're really, really working to make this a thing. And they have contact info on their website too, so anybody who's interested in potentially starting one of these in a different area that doesn't have one yet could get in touch with um, Katie. And Adam and the other people who are involved, and they can help you to DIY that and start one of your own.
0: Now, Kai, I wonder if you've thought about—you address this a little bit when you talk about uh, kind of thinking about the Spirit and the way that the Spirit works their lives and the way that women religious can speak to this. Why this is particularly effective with sisters and not, say, brothers or priests, um, women religious? Is this kind of a, an area of ministry that, that um, they excel in in a certain way?
2: Well, yeah, they do. And it's not that brothers and priests aren't good at it, but that for people who have been alienated by or drifted, from, so for the particular percentage of seekers who used to be part of religion and have left, um, for that group of, as opposed to the people who grew up with no religion at all, which there's, you know, an increasing number of as well, but... Um, it's a little bit alienating for them to talk to somebody in a collar, right? E- or, you know, in a polo shirt, I guess. It's like, um, <laughs> Flannel shirt, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. But it's the, the ordination thing, um, oftentimes, like why they left the religious in- practice of their childhood was because of confrontations with pastors or priests or, you know, being just bad, bad relationships with clergy, and so because sisters are not the visible face of the religious institution, um, they're harder to find. Uh, they are doing more kind of hidden work that they they can be um, approach. They're a little more approachable for some of these seekers, they can and then also the fact that they're women and so that in their religious communities they are called to leadership but the the way that the um their community leadership usually works is what we would call a horizontal leadership rather than vertical. So in other words it's not that one person there is a um a prioress or an abbess in the community but she's elected democratically and they also work in councils, so they have councils in most of these religious orders. In other words, so the decision-making process um, is very much a community decision-making process. And so um, a lot of people who are not in an institutional religion, are, you know, they just feel like a priest equals um, this guy's in charge, and he's the boss, and I have to do everything he says, and I don't want that. And so this woman religious, you know, look at the way that she communicates with her community and she's much more accessible. um, And um, yeah, so there's just like they just seem friendlier in some ways.
1: You also point out that that women religious have been working with marginalised communities for for decades. One of one of the nuns describes the sisters as quiet revolutionaries. Um, so what are mm-hmm. some of the what are some of the areas of common ground, um, that the the seekers and the sisters, um, have found in their activism? What kind of issues are they are they both concerned about?
2: environmentalism is a big one Um, I went out to East Oakland to talk to the Dominican sisters who live here and that's a a, a troubled neighborhood but it also has this big urban farming community has started to to grow (laughs) there and a lot of the seekers who are involved are environmental activists and so they can identify with um, the fact that the sisters go to the urban farming community and and get their produce there and have a relationship with those people. And, um, And that also came up with some of the communities in the Midwest that are doing things like permaculture and trying to figure out to do what they can do with the grounds of their convents that are not being used, and so things like renting them out to organic farmers and stuff like that. So environmentalism is a big concern um, among these younger activists. Education, um, racial equality, police brutality, um, you know, LGBT rights, inequality, feminism, um, and those are all things that sisters have experience with because they do minister to people who you know often live on the edge of society. Poverty is a big concern, and also because a lot of millennials are struggling financially themselves, being around women who've worked in impoverished or low-economy communities, they they do feel like that women really just understand that, you know, it's tough out there, so they can bond over that. Yeah.
0: Now, um, this kind of spirituality of accompaniment, which you talk about here, which is really what's happening here, maybe you can speak more to that, and what you know, maybe this is the kind of ministry that uh, a lot of religious groups will be involved in in the future. It's things that are happening outside the the walls of a church, but are nonetheless, you know, perhaps can help bring people into church someday.
2: Yeah, um, that's definitely a possibility down the road that it might bring people back to church, but I think that what's happening more and more is that people really just want to be met where they arrive. In other words, they want to you know, want it to be okay to have doubts. They want it to be okay to have questions about things. I mean, we're at this incredibly difficult moment in the Catholic Church itself right now, and some people just are not comfortable going to Mass right now for many reasons. And so this is an example of something where somebody who doesn't want to go to Mass because they feel uncomfortable with the issues that are coming up could go to a group like this and just, you know, talk about that discomfort, talk about the suffering, and and be listened to and be respected. And, you know, whether or not that eventually draws people back to church or not, I don't know, because this project's only a couple years old. But what it has done is opened up a line of communication that was not there before. And it's also gotten... Um, younger uh, people who didn't know much about sisters to really understand the importance that they, uh, important role that they play and how um, vital they are to our religious institution.
0: What, yeah, one thing I was struck by is how much the sisters were very much at peace with the way that they're going about this ministry. You know, it it, it didn't have to translate into numbers or results for them. It was, just, it was enough just to be there and to be conversation partners, and I think there's a lot we can all learn from that.
2: Yeah, that's a kind of radical in itself, right? Like, it's not an obsession with vocations. It's the idea of the future of religious life might not look like what it looks like now, right? I mean religious life as in people entering religious orders um, that it might not look like what it looks like now. We might see bigger growth in things like third orders and oblates and fewer ordained people and you know maybe that'll hold some of these religious orders up so you You mentioned
1: that the the prayer for the for the nuns and nuns is uh is uh, from isaiah 43 behold i am making things new now it springs forth do you not perceive it so i thought that was that was a hopeful way to go into the future
0: yeah and that's yes Mm -hmm. that's a good place to end thank you very much (laughs) kaya for joining us today, again, the article is What uh, Can Nuns and Nuns Learn from One Another? And our contributors, Kaya Oaks, thanks so much.
2: Bye, thank you.
0: Sure, again, uh, you can go to Magazine.org slash Sirius, where we'll have links to all these articles. Also, our video interview with Archbishop Coleridge. And, and also, I think we can put up some links to, like, if you're interested in nuns and nuns gatherings that she mentioned, we'll put those up there, too, for people who are interested. Again, this is uh, Tim Reedy sitting in for Father Matt Malone. Uh, Carrie Welber will be back next week. Thank you to Ashton McKeanless. Thank you to Olga Segura. A reminder that you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is AmericaMag. And if you want to subscribe to America, please call 1-800-627-9533. That's 1-800-627-9533. Thanks very much and have a good day. You're listening to the podcast of America This Week, courtesy of the Catholic Channel on SiriusXM 129. If you want to listen to more, subscribe to SiriusXM and tune in on Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern on the Catholic Channel, SiriusXM 129.